0: Welcome to How to Recognize and Exit an Oppressive Marriage and Thrive Post-Divorce. Most men and women who live in dysfunctional marriages are challenged to find the strength and courage to leave, navigate what may very well be a high-conflict divorce, and figure out how to reinvent themselves post-divorce. Today's guest walks us through her journey of using the pain of childhood challenges and an oppressive marriage to fuel personal growth and a better next chapter. Kate was the moneyed spouse who also took on the lion's share of raising the family and household tasks, overwhelmed and exhausted with two grade school children and a corporate job, Kate had to create an exit plan to leave her marriage and reinvent her life. Kate Walker is an author, executive leadership coach, and she has served as human resources director at a global company in marketing, gaming, and sports before taking the leap into entrepreneurship as a single mom with two young sons. With no more corporate salary and two sons to support, Kate used her business experience and mindset principles to turn her new consulting company into a success, a true self-made woman. And the long-term financial provider of her family, Kate is sharing her journey in her upcoming book titled, A Candid Conversation, Lessons in Life, Love, and Leadership, which comes out in mid-October, 2023 both a memoir and a guide to leadership and empowerment, Kate shares the advice and tools she wishes she had while navigating a corporate exit, single parenthood, and entrepreneurship with two sons at home. I am so excited to have this conversation. Welcome, Kate.
1: Thank you, Karen. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. I appreciate it. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. So you sound like the Tenacious, resilient person, we encourage each of our listeners to work on becoming. Uh, Can you start us off with just a little bit of your story? Your kids were young, you were in corporate. It sounds overwhelming before you even add exiting the marriage.
1: Yes, it was. (laughs) Yes, it was. So back in that day, yes, I was living in San Francisco in a two-bedroom flat, no parking, parked on the street. Now I had to take kids to the doctor's appointments or go to the grocery shopping and then find a parking spot and lug the kids back into the flat. So it, it, was, a str- it was a stressful time with two young children and a marriage that was strained. The other thing that occurred in those days was realizing that we were in fact running out of room. So having to relocate, move to a new home that was a fixer upper. And that was a whole, that's a whole nother part of the chapter too, is going into a home that was under construction and renovation and running around with two very young children and trying to figure out preschools and how do we get into the preschools and then living in a new community. So just a, a lot going on as many, many parents experience, especially in those younger years a lot of demands. And uh, you're referring
0: to it as oppressive. So can you share a little bit, we talk so much with our our listeners about how it's often the challenges and trauma of our childhood that connects us to romantic relationships that are hard. Um, what, What was your experience in that front?
1: I always wanted a, a teammate as a husband. And you and I talked a little bit before hitting the record button. I wanted also an attractive partner. That's something that in my childhood on the playground, there were kind of rankings of who's desirable, who's not desirable. So that definitely impacted me. So as I got older, I thought, I want a good looking guy. The good looking guy came with some baggage. <laughs> but, you know, really, we came together. We were best friends, I felt. And I really was wanting a teammate, a teammate of equal partnership. And this is something I talk about in the book, but really our our values were not aligned. And that is a lesson, a, a very big lesson learned as I've you know become a little older, a little wiser is, do we have values that are aligned? Do we have goals that are aligned? And the oppression really kicked in when we just were absolutely not on the same page and I didn't feel heard i didn't feel seen and this person was very very frustrated and taking it out on me and it just there just comes a point where then it just feels so hard so challenging even to have a basic conversation what's for dinner even that's a even that's a gigantic situation that it just then you just start to you feel your personality is starting to shift or you begin to become a different person you be, you go into a survival mode So it just gets to be really hard when you stop feeling that connection and you stop feeling like you can even have a basic conversation. So those are some really, really hard years when we were in that struggle.
0: So here you are, two young children, you're in corporate America, and I believe there's a little piece of the story there too. I've never worked in corporate. I certainly have clients and friends who have shared how challenging it is. Uh, yeah. Can you? What was that piece of it for you?
1: Yeah, I feel very lucky that I've always had these corporate jobs that have been so wonderful for me. And I actually find a lot of solace, a lot of comfort in those in that work. And with those people, it's almost like a way of compartmentalizing, It's like, oh, I get to go have joy for eight hours and have that experience. So I was still in corporate jobs when I had my children. And then as they were becoming older, I thought, this is really hard. This is really hard. Can I find a way to maybe work part-time, earn some good money, and have more time with the kids? So I did have a period of time when I was part-time, but still really the primary active um, income earner. And then um, as the divorce started to really become real, then I thought, okay, I, I have to go back to full-time corporate. I have to go where the money is, where the benefits are, where the you know paid holidays are, where that structure is in place. So eventually, so I had maybe a seven-year hiatus of part-time work, good, well-paid part-time work. But then as things were heating up, it's like, all right, it's go time. I've got to go back. I've got to go back into corporate, which again, was fulfilling on one level, but the job, I, I took another job for seven years, very demanding in terms of a commute, very demanding in terms of travel. And that's when and I also write about this in the book. That's where my parents had to come in and act to a certain degree as some um, they were at a distance. But when they could come into town, they became the village for me to help me care for the children when I was going through the divorce and getting into this next chapter of I need to really make a lot more money now. So I've got to go into this corporate infrastructure, which corporate, it's a beautiful place to work. But hey, you got to be at your seat at 8 a.m. You got to be visible. They want to see you. They want to hear you. Meetings might be starting early. And hey, don't think about leaving early. You know, we, we have a meeting at 4 p.m. So it's a very beautiful structure, but also it can be rigid. And that is one of the reasons eventually why I ended up leaving was I I felt I had the experience and the wherewithal to go do something else where I could tap into what was important for me, which is time and flexibility. Yes, Right.
0: Especially as a single parent. I mean, it's so hard to juggle any kind of a a job in single parenting. But then when you're in a high powered position and you've got a lot of demands on you And then it's like, do I take care of my kids' demands? Do I take care of my corporate? Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. And I want to get back to that a little bit later. So Kate, I find that for the women that I work with who are working moms, The easier part of it, if I dare, I was a working mom, Mm -hmm. was we don't have that hump of, oh my God, I have to go back into the workplace. I haven't been there in years or decades. There there is that confidence and that connection that we have to our ability to make money. And yet um, you made a pivot. So I hear that you went back into corporate, but then you made a pivot and just- Between exiting your marriage and then exiting corporate, what can you tell us about the comparison contrast of those two exits?
1: Yes, I am. I enjoy like (laughs) making things challenging for myself. These decisions are absolutely not easy, not easy at all. So leaving the marriage, but that's the biggest decision I've ever made in my life, in my entire life. That was the hardest decision but also knowing that you've got to help yourself. You've got to save yourself. So that that is absolutely something. Leaving the corporate job, as I've gotten older and smarter, I guess, and read a lot of books and listened to a lot of podcasts, I've also now taken the time to, I talk, I've been talking about kind of a through line as values, but what are my values? What's important to me? And then leaving the big corporate job, I knew it was going to be hard, but I also knew I want some different things in my life. Now I want that flexibility. I want those freedoms. I want time freedom. So I, I just, you know, part of the the roadmap for me is trying to anchor back to my values for what is important for me. And as far as leaving the marriage, what was important for me back in that time, that's like self-preservation. That's like human (laughs) saving yourself. Certainly values are anchored into that, but that leaving the marriage was a, a much more emotional Kind of safety, saving myself versus aligning, anchoring to values in right. a corporate job. Yeah,
0: right. So, uh, I'm going to invite you from your head to your heart. Yeah, because you're talking very logically, and <laughs> yes, yeah. Having been through this journey, it's an emotional storm. Oh boy. Yeah. can And so you're going to be talk to, talking to our listeners about some tips of being resilient. I, I guess I'm asking you to share your vulnerability a little bit. Like yeah. what was like that? You had two little babies. They were barely in grade school and and all of these major changes going on. Can you share a little bit of what your fear was? I know for me, looking back, uh, I had lost myself very much in my marriage. So even though I knew I was a rock star in the working field, I always was. Most Mm. codependents do really well in the professional world and not so well in the intimate relationship world. What were you, what, what were your top three? Like looking back, what were those top three things that kept you up at night, that shook your bones, mm. that caused you to really struggle? And then you, we can talk about how that fueled the change. Yeah,
1: was. yeah. I mean, it really goes back to my children, knowing that I was going through such a difficult time in the marriage and it seemed all, all signs seemed to be pointing to, I don't think this is going to work. So that just devastated me as far as knowing that I'm going to be like a, am I going to be divorced? Am I going to, are we going to be a two household family? Like my kids are going to say, my parents are divorced. My parents have not divorced. So I, that's, that just felt so painful and so devastating to me that I'll, I'll go ahead and ruin my life, like for myself, but ruining my kids like that, that was on a whole other level.
0: Did you decide to leave? Were you the decider?
1: It was a mutual okay. decision. It was a mutual okay. decision. But, you know, interestingly, there's always going to be the, uh, well, not always, but there's going to be some back and forth disagreements. And then it, later down the road, it was like, you left us. I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Like, this is mutual. This is We both know this is not working. So anyway, different recollections yeah. and stories, but yeah. just uh, the the pain, I've never felt pain like that. In my life, knowing that I might be ruining, destructing my children's lives. And they say children are resilient and and that kind of thing, but having two households and I left this at dad's or I left this at mom, that just, that was really devastating to me, but also just the feeling just very isolated and very alone. I felt like there wasn't anyone to talk to about these deep, deep feelings. Um, I, and I talk about in the book. I did eventually hire a coach to help me make sense of what I was feeling. And on these coaching calls, I was just like, I, I don't even know if I can talk. I was just crying all the whole time, just so deeply, deeply sad. And it wasn't until I had four calls with this particular coach, just crying, crying, crying. All I'm doing is crying on these calls. And by call number four, the final session, my coach finally had to be like, Kate. What do you want? And I just stopped in my tracks and I said, I got it. I just want peace. Like I just want peace. That's, that's what I want. So that was a big turning point for me where it's like, I have to, I have to go after peace. That's what I want. Yeah. I have to come out of despair and darkness and uncertainty And looping, looping, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, looping. I've got to get to, I've got to get to peace.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so what were, what were some of the, uh, strategies that you used right because it is isolating it is emotionally overwhelming it's scary yeah it's just scary and and i and to your point you know when there are kids involved you can't help but fear that you're harming yes the the people you love the most in the world yeah so what were what were some of the what can you share with our listeners in terms of your strategies and approaches going from that place to coming out the other side.
1: I think there were maybe two parts. There's kind of the head, the tactical steps, but then there's also the heart piece. And the tactical piece is I'm pretty good at. I can find a new place to live and go on Craigslist back in that day and, and do all those things. So it was really getting very clear about the heart piece about and 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 continuing to go back to, I've got to find, I've got to get to peace. So it was getting through some of those emotions first to what do I want? I think I know what I don't want. I've been looping in, in that for, for months and years, but now we need to anchor onto what do I want? I want peace. I want a healthy relationships. So I had to think about those things as well. It's like, what do I want? What do I want to move toward? And what does that look like? And then there are the tactical pieces like, okay, let's put a list together about, you know, what do we do? Okay, because um, we we file for divorce. Okay, we do that to really get this moving, to show like, this is serious. And then we look for someplace new to live. I was actually the one to move out of the marital home uh, because I, it, this, again, this was this fixer-upper that was just, <laughs> that was a whole different thing. I said, I am happy to go. And I'm happy to go to a new uh, a new county, actually a new community, which was was close, but, I went there and then you've got to find the new schools and then you've got to meet the the new people over there. So it's a lot. It's very emotionally, it's emotionally a a lot on, uh, even those tactical pieces can be very overwhelming and very emotional. So it's just taking small steps is how I went about it. I don't know that you can take gigantic, I I couldn't take gigantic leaps. I had to take it very small so I could wrap my mind around it and be emotionally okay.
0: So, so while you, know, you were in the divorce process, that's when you went back to corporate and you took on the bigger, that the, the, the stress and yes. time constraints yes. and everything. Yes. So, so that must've been interesting because I would imagine it brought some ease and peace in terms of your financial future, yes. but, but it sounds like there was a sacrifice that came along with that
1: there there is a sacrifice I'll be very honest there absolutely is a sacrifice and and there were many many times d- during this period where that they, they kind of talk about can you juggle work and life have a work life balance can you juggle it all i no not exactly i think sometimes i felt like today i'm dropping the ball at home i missed my kids practice that feels horrible but I will be there. I will leave work early tomorrow to make it to the practice. So it's just taking it day by day on how you put that puzzle together to navigate how that's going. It's not easy. And yeah, there were days at work. I'm like, I'm just, I'm failing. I feel horrible. I'm failing. Um, Yeah. And there are
0: days where you feel like you're failing on both fronts. Don't you, where it's just like, I'm one person and I can't clone myself and I'm just screwed.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, there'd be days I'd be driving home from my commute, just crying at the steering wheel, just like I'm spent. I'm just so overwhelmed. So those were, there were many, many years of feeling just that overwhelmed, but the good news too, is in taking that job, I was able to It's like, Oh, I can pay for my kid's soccer practice or his soccer team. Okay. I got that. They need some football equipment. Okay. Easy. I got that. So there was, in, in having children in the earlier days, it was a little bit of little bit of paycheck to paycheck and all that. And in this bigger job, it's like, okay, I'm getting a, a better grip on my finances. I'm feeling more confident, more comfortable that I am able to support my family in the ways that, that make me feel good.
0: I want to uh, pivot back to the kids for a second. Yeah. You moved uh, to a different location. Were you the majority parent? I don't want to say primary but in yeah. terms of time was it and you said that your parents were out of town so
1: yeah yeah did you
0: have support as as a working corporate yeah. mom with two yeah. young kids how did that piece work out
1: yeah so when we got divorced we did decide to do shared custody 50 and and he actually was a, a loving dad, an active dad. So I give him that back in those days, the kids really uh, did love him and, and wanted to have the time. So it's like, okay, here we go. We're the 50-52 household split. And then I took this bigger job. And instead of ha- giving him more time, if I was out of town, I thought, well, this is my day. I'm going to do what I want. And that's when I started to invite my parents down to spend time with the kids. And That actually turned out to be that the time, and and, you know, this was maybe once a month. This wasn't all the time, but maybe once a month I had to go out of town on these trips. But they there was a beautiful relationship that built from my kids spending time with their grandparents. I mean, they're almost like their second parents because they grew so close. And my parents would pick up my kids from school or take them to an activity if I was out of town. And I think the other thing too I want to mention was. My dad took it very personally to be a good male role model to the boys. That was something that was very important for him and showing them positive male behavior. So it, they took it very seriously. I mean, they were grandma, grandpa and fun and all that, but they really took this, wasn't an assignment, but they took it very personally and very seriously And my kids to this day are very close to my, very close to my parents. So that was a unexpected dynamic. That really was beautiful.
0: Yeah. It's the silver linings that we hold on to. So let's pivot to your book. So you've got this book titled A Candid Conversation, Lessons in Life, Love and Leadership. Can you highlight a few of the lessons, like tease us into wanting to read this book? What are some of those lessons that you talk about?
1: Let me give you just a super quick background where the book originated. The book originated from journals that I kept, particularly during this relationship. The dating phase, the getting married phase, the divorce phase. So I felt like I perhaps wanted to write a cautionary tale for women I was writing from a little bit of a victim hat and lying in a warn women about these kind of guys. And as I started writing the book, I thought, gosh, Kate, there's so much more than this. You have learned so many lessons. Let's focus on the lessons. So in the book, I do share a lot about the marriage and a lot about childhood and how childhood impacted some of the decisions I made. But I really did want to leave the reader with not just stories about the marriage and Corporate work and all those different things, but about the lessons learned, h- about how I got through it and about reflections that I didn't think of back in those days. I, I don't know if I wasn't mature enough. I didn't have the tools, I didn't have the resources, I didn't have the education. But now I feel like, okay, now I want to share what I've learned and again, what I wish I would have known at these different points, what I wish I would have known when I moved in with my boyfriend later to be husband with no agreements, I we're moving in together. I feel it's very adult. So that there were no agreements, there were no goals. It was just two 20 somethings having fun and going out to bars and restaurants in the evening. Um, And that will backfire on you if you don't have these, these important conversations. So I also talk about in the book that there does have to be a maturity. There does have to be, We do need to have these important conversations that might be uncomfortable, or maybe they do lead to a breakup, but better to know the information and know what you're in sooner than later. It is a book of different stories, but I do try to weave in the things I wish I'd known and my my younger self and lessons now that kind of propel me into my newest chapters.
0: Yeah. I I love the one about agreements. I do couples Mm. coaching as well. Should we end or should we mend? And I always bring up agreements and there's a saying about expectations being resentments in the making if they're not vocalized, discussed and agreed upon. And so often when I speak to my clients who are divorcing or the couples, they're so little bit that has been discussed and agreed upon. And yet, you know, you buy a house, there's a contract, you go to work, you're, you right. you have expectations, you know what your job
1: That's is. Right.
0: And, and yet you connect with another human being, move under the same roof, start bringing babies into the world. And, oh, oh, you don't agree with me on that? Oh, you don't see that my way? Oh, you don't share those values? And all of that could so easily Come to the surface with the conversations about agreements on the front end so I love that yes, you brought that up
1: yes and I feel like there's such a romanticism I guess for lack of a better word people want the relationship to be romantic and to be spontaneous and will he get down on his knee gosh I'm gonna hope and I'm gonna wish I'm gonna pray for years that's what I did I was like hoping and wishing and praying and now I know these are conversations that we have to be having. We have to be bold and brave. And if we do need a therapist or a guide to help us, then we should do that. But uh, in the line of work I'm in as an HR consultant and leadership consultant, it just it's still, it still—it just amazes me. I guess this is human nature that it's just hard to have these conversations. We don't wanna hurt someone's feelings. It's how do you get into the conversation? How do you broach the subject? These are hard things, but I think if we can be, stronger communicators, especially stating our needs and our wants, that will only help us in the long run.
0: Absolutely. So I'm wondering if you have one lesson that you could share that's in your book that would help our listeners as they're leaving. You talk about resilience, you talk about tenacity. Yeah. Is there one that comes to mind that you could share?
1: I I would say, We've talked a lot about strength and resilience and that that's really where I operate a lot of the time because it feels comfortable for me to be, to, to not be vulnerable. But I, I I do think that having that vulnerability and that emotion come out, I think that that's healthy. Sometimes I would walk to the park with my sunglasses on because I was crying, but I think also being tough and being resilient, taking these different steps, but letting the emotion come out and being okay with that and not judging ourselves because these are very painful, emotional times and that's Okay that's okay. And sometimes I wish I'd been a little more emotional back in that time, but you just feel like you've got to be stressed, especially with kids. You feel like you've got to be strong all the time. And sometimes it's just nice to break down and be okay with that.
0: Well, I would go so far to say you're going to be a whole lot stronger oh. through your vulnerability, through your having a safe person to be honest with, to process all of that Hurt and pain and fear and anger and disappointment. If that doesn't come out of us, then our heart goes into future relationships, romantic and otherwise, with a lot of unhealthiness. And so I agree. I
1: agree. Yeah. Yeah. I love
0: that you brought that up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, It may take a little bit longer than you think. So these things do take time to heal. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how old are your boys now.
1: Okay. So now my oldest son is 20 and he's in college. He's a junior in college in LA. And then I have a 17 year old who's a senior in high school. So yeah, I'm on this interesting end of raising children where I've got one out of the nest and one about to leave the nest. So it's interesting. You feel like you're in the trenches raising children and then one leaves the nest. It's like, wait, wait, what, (laughs) what, what just happened? That went fast. It's so, yeah, I'm entering a a new chapter, which I feel like as humans, we're just one chapter to the next with different milestones.
0: Yeah, and emerging adults are that's what I call them. I don't feel like they're quite earned, they haven't quite earned the adult title. So my kids are now, one turns 25 at the end of the year and my son just turned 27. I have a girl and a boy.
1: Oh, and,
0: uh And so I'm starting to shift from emerging adult to adult as I okay. say, well, it's not until 25 that your frontal cortex connects and you're like actually making good logical decisions with all the synapses connecting. I had a girlfriend who had a, a poster on her kitchen wall that said, go to your room until your frontal cortex is connected <laughs> because like they can make decisions where you're like, were you, what were you thinking? And they're like, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. I just wrote
1: that down. Emerging adults. That's, that's perfect.
0: Yeah. So the name of your book is a candid conversation lessons in life, love, and leadership. It It is officially uh, on the shelves, October 24th of 2023. Is there anything else you want to tell us about it before we wrap up?
1: I've had pre-readers reading it and I've been so just blown away by the feedback about people reflecting on their own relationships and their own decision-making. So the feedback has exceeded what I could have even imagined. When you're writing a book, you just think this kind of, this is like probably not very good. I, I hope it resonates, but it's okay if it doesn't. So to have it to have people connecting with it has been a, a beautiful, pleasant surprise to me. So I'm excited about it to come out. I do hope it will be in service, especially to women. I hope women can read it and find a story in there, find a lesson that is helpful to them on their path. And otherwise, I'm on Instagram at the Kate Walker. I'm on LinkedIn, which is Kate Walker, SPHR. My website is KateWalker.com. So I'd love to connect with people and learn more about where they are on their journey. And I just really appreciate this conversation.
0: And your business, can you describe what you do as an entrepreneur now, just in case anybody's interested that I want to make sure they have, you have that plug too.
1: In in a nutshell, the easiest way to to describe what I do is I am a two decade human resources professional. So in this new chapter, I work as what we call these days a fractional human resources consultant where I maybe go in and help a company for 20 hours a week to get their systems and processes up and running. I work a lot with companies that have had experienced high growth, but forgot all the people things to come with them. So I can come in and do an analysis or an overview just to see like where they can strengthen their HR processes and procedures from a more strategic level. I also work a lot with leaders in different leadership, consulting, coaching engagements to help them, especially what really resonates with me is helping people become better leaders. If you're a, a leader of people, we know that people spend so many hours a day at work and it can be a very stressful place. So if leaders are really setting a shining example, people love to show up and work for their boss. If I can help the boss do that, then I've that makes my day. So a lot of leadership work.
0: Beautiful. All right. So please check out Kate's book. It's in the show notes. And thank you so much for joining us and chatting with our listeners.
1: Thank you, Karen. I appreciate it.
0: And we'll be back real soon with another
1: episode. Until then, you take care.